you're very welcome along. It's the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio on this Saturday morning. And uh, Pete and Mick are here from Horkins with us. Good morning, lads. Morning, Deirdre. Morning, Deirdre. How, How are things? Good. How are we this morning? Very well, thank you. Now. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, now, we have already you've brought in lots more stuff again today, lots of plants to talk about. But we're going to spe- uh, talk about specifically about cottage, cottage garden plants. I'm suddenly twisted, falling all over my words. Cottage garden plants first this morning. And uh, I suppose this is a topic that I notice is really becoming quite fashionable, it would be fair to say, over the last year or two. Um, When we talk about cottage garden plants, we kind of presume everybody knows what we're talking about, but not necessarily. So what do we mean by cottage garden plants? Well, uh, cottage garden plants, really what we mean by perennial herbaceous, herbaceous perennial plants would be the the description, the correct description for them. Um, I suppose a description for herbaceous perennial plants would be plants and flowers that flower every year. I suppose which uh, classification of plants, you have an annual which is like your summer annuals, you know, your uh, marigolds, busy lizzies, petunias that you plant out into, into beds and they just flower for a period. The flower from normally the end of May mm-hmm. up till about the first hard frost, which is the end of October. In their own, in, in their own regard, they're brilliant. They're, they're, they're super colour, great for pots and containers and people love them and, and they'll be planted every year and, and they'll never be forgotten about. Then you have another class of a plant which is called a biennial. Mm-hmm. And in that respect, plants like spring flower and plants like stock and wallflowers. And they, I suppose the description of those, a biennial, they flower for two seasons. The first year you sow them and they grow and the second year then the flower. And you normally get two years out of those. And uh, as we class the cottage garden plants or, or the perennial, the herbaceous perennials, these plants flower every year. And I suppose a couple of quick tips with them. They're, they're foolproof. They flower every year. And... Uh, I suppose they're great. They're great all around. And ha- is there a big range mm. in in the cottage garden plants in, yeah. in the in the whole area of them? Oh, there sure is. Yeah, there's a massive range and massive range of color and form. You know, you get nice low plants for the the front borders, uh, or some lovely kind of tall ones that'll bring a bit of color into the back of you know if you have a deeper bed. Uh, so stuff like um, well, one I have here is the foxglove. Yep, which you've brought in a great selection yeah. again this morning. I lift um, that up there. Now this is a really stunning foxglove altogether. So quite a, quite a tall plant, really. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, you know, if you were planting that in the bed, you know, you could plant it maybe um, a little bit deeper into the bed because that's going to come up about three or four feet. Mm-hmm. It's going to, you know, tower above um, the other perennials that are there and flower in, in a long kind of almost like a lupin. Uh, right up on top of them and there's some amazing colours on these and that particular one there that you have is a little bit unusual because it's kind of like a dusky pink um, really pretty one you know I suppose a subtle colour rather than a really vibrant colour yeah it is yeah and uh, these were really featured in bloom this year as well um, up at the garden and festival um, the good thing about digitalis and sometimes the bad thing is it'll also self seed so at the end of the year when the flowers are spent uh, the the seeds come out of each flower and the, the plant will naturally drop the seeds trying to reproduce for next year. Right. So um, it's a great way of collecting more plants from the, you know, when it goes to seed, you can ground, collect the little seeds that are, uh, are there uh, and sow them again in another area of the garden. Okay, so there, I suppose, and this is probably part of the reason, well, maybe it is or maybe it isn't, but part of the reason why uh, the cottage garden plants maybe have become so popular is because people had probably a bit less money to spend gardening and this is a way to uh, kind of peter things out um, that much more. So is there a particular care then at the end of the growing season with regards to the reseeding or do you just let them at it? 
Well, they, there's a couple of little quick tips with them and at the end of the season when they go out of flower, as Mick said, you can cut back the flowers and, and take your own seed and dry your seed mm-hmm. and use it for next year. Um, really, when the, the first frost comes, it tends to, uh, you know, blacken the plant and it dies back and then you just trim them back and cut them back, clean them back and you just dress them with a mulch, uh, whether it be bark mulch or a compost or something like that, just to, to overwinter them. And in spring then, they just show up again. And as you see them showing up, give them a little feed with something like Pro 6. And really, that's it. In some cases, as the plant gets a little bit older, mm-hmm. they can be divided. Uh, you know, things like dahlia tubers or lupins, uh, you know, liliums, any of those particular plants, they can be lifted and divided. Estilbes would be another classic, the old spirea. They can be lifted and split. And a, a lot of the old uh, states, the old gardens would do that. And again, you know, you have more plants, then it's another way of propagation and making new plants. So is now a good time then for sowing, for, for planting the cottage plants, the garden plants, or should this be done a little bit earlier in the summer? Well, this or is a great time. Now. This is a great time. And I suppose the beauty about now, you come in and you'll see them in flower and you'll see exactly the colours and what you're looking for. And more importantly, the heights as well. And as Mick said too, it's, you know, it's planning that and getting your heights right and your proportions, you know, back, middle and front and making sure you have those picked correctly. Okay, and what about soil preparation and that kind of thing then, Mick? Uh, well, uh, I suppose if anyone's going at this and they want to put in uh, a few cottage garden plants into a small bed, uh, the first thing would be to um, treat it for weeds. So either dig out the weeds, turn over the soil, or else spray it off with something like Roundup just to kill off all the weed and grass that's there. Um, the next stage then would be just to turn the soil, to loosen it up and to bring some air into it. And then what I'd normally do if I'm tackling a bed would be to um, pick a selection of plants but lay them out in front of me. All right. Um, so just move them around, you know, try and imagine what they're going to be like in the years to come uh, and, you know, put them out in the bed so you're happy with uh, the way they're, they're, they're looking. At that stage then um, comes the planting. Um, so we would normally dig a hole about twice the size of the pot um, dig in some compost um, into the soil that you've taken out. I, I find that very good. Like when you dig a hole, the soil is out the side of the hole. It's good to put a little bit of compost on that. Mm-hmm. So when you drag that soil back in around the plant, the compost is mixing with it uh, and it makes it very um, easy for the, the plant to root into it at that stage. Um, so, and that's it. You know, once they're in, um, just keep an eye on them. Uh, when the plants are young, uh, if we get a dry spell, they might need a little bit of water. Uh, and another thing that uh, can get them, especially in some varieties, uh, would be the slug. Uh, Mr. Okay, right. Mr. Slug. Yes, our friend. Yeah, and uh, this time of year, like he's very active. All the young. Um, uh, uh, the young slugs are getting hungry. They're all coming out at night time. They're marching in on the plants. Um, so you might need to protect your plants uh, from them. Like some of them are very vulnerable. Uh, for instance, the lupin that uh, we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, that one is, uh, it can be wiped out in a night. Really? <laughs> it okay. really can, yeah. Uh, and the hosta that Pete mentioned, uh, they love that. Right. Uh, I think there's only one other creature that loves that more than slugs, and that's... Uh, and I, a good example of this last week okay. when I went home. <laughs> a horror story, I suspect. Yeah. <laughs> my young fella had out my chickens <laughs> and they made a beeline for the really? for the hostas and okay. wiped them out. Or they picked them clean. Right. On yeah. you. Okay. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought that they, that that was something that would happen. But there you go. And so the chickens it, are well fed too. Yes. Like so, <laughs> it wasn't like they were hungry. 
<laughs> right? They were just uh, comfort eating or something a lot like that. Yeah. So uh, chickens, but obviously the slugs, are the, is, slugs is, is, yeah. the, is, is the most common one. Yeah. yeah so right. like the slugs are hiding during the day and um, nighttime then in the evening time they start moving out onto the plants and they're looking for that nice soft fresh growth. Um, so, uh, like, there's a number of ways to treat them. You know, a few pl- uh, slug pellets is probably the easiest, but there is a, a very good product called Slug Clear, mm-hmm. uh, and I use this quite a bit in the garden, especially at the this time of year and you know earlier in the season. Uh, and Slug Clear is a spray that you mix up with water, and you just walk through your garden and any areas that are vulnerable. You give a quick spray to in a knapsack or a watering can, uh, and the good thing about it is. It's a. It's not visible, so any pests uh, or any pets that you have or birds, you know, don't come into contact with it. Uh, and it's great for covering a big area, um, like around my house. You now there's a lot of old walls, right? And slugs love getting into them. Like you know, that's that's where they live at night, or sorry, during the day. Um, so if you uh, put a trace of the slug clear in front of the the wall, you'll find that they uh, they stay away. Oh, that, well, you, right. you, it'll, oh, okay. be, it'll more, be slimy more, there in the morning. More, more than stay away, right, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so, But there are different options for people, depending on how you want to approach uh, dealing with slugs in the garden. So yeah, it, that's it, it. yeah, okay, great. So have we anything else there on cottage garden plants then that we want to touch on? I mean, we've talked well, about the foxglove. Is there well, a, I'd say one thing with yep. them too, uh, uh, with the cottage garden plants, they start flowering in... Uh, I'd say probably middle of March, around Paddy's weekend, and it's picking the varieties and to get longevity, mm. to f- get them to flower right up to November. And I, I suppose the first of the flowers, uh, perennials or the, the cottage garden plants, will be the cherryanthus, will be the perennial wallflower. It's not your common wallflower, the flowers that we plant as a, as a bedding plant. These are the, the perennial wallflowers. And they flower in March. And it's picking a range of fl- flowers then, like Dianthus then, that are in full flower now, or Liliums that are in full flower. Lupins are probably just going out of flower, where your foxgloves just coming into flower. So it's spending a bit of time and picking the, 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 the plants that will give you full longevity and give you flowers right through the whole season. Because if you look at then asters, the perennial asters, they don't flower till August right. and right into October. And your flocks as well, all the perennial flocks, they flower late in the season as well. So really, I suppose what we're saying is to get full value out of the area that you're planting, um, really put some thought and preparation yeah, into this so yeah. that you have a really good gardening plan yeah. to, to take you through a good six months of the yes. year if possible. Uh, be very careful too if you go into a garden centre because <clears throat> you tend to go into a garden centre and what you'll see is everything looking well at the moment and you're not seeing what will look well in a month's time. And that, that's important too as well. You so know, you'll, you'll be, I mean, I suppose it's just human nature. You're going to be drawn to whatever you will. looks particularly good today. Yeah. Um, but yeah. try and think kind of beyond that point. Yeah. The garden centre may not have the flocks, which will be available in flower in another six weeks. Uh, the whole point in it being there because it's just foliage, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's to ask those plants and those plants, I'm sure, could be ordered in or... You know, but but to, to plan it out and make sure you get your colour all year round. Okay, to make to, to make a good plan and, and to think ahead. So um, we also want to talk about trees today because now is a good time to buy a tree. Great time at the moment, right. yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. What 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 particular areas are what kind of trees in your experience are people? Um, particularly asking for are there certain kinds or is there a very broad spectrum? Well, I suppose the the first thing uh, there is a couple. Of, you know, uh, customers love leaf color uh, and love flowers, and, and I suppose the trees they're totally different. Uh, trees that have leaf color, uh, things like the maples, the acers, uh, leaf the crimson king, which is a lovely purple leaf, uh, drummondii, which is a lovely variegated leaf, um, and then you have the flowering trees, the cherries, and the the sorbus 
And there's some great sorbers, Mick, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah, uh, one I particularly like is one called White Beam. Okay. Um, and it's yeah, you know, sometimes when we look at trees and gardens, like there's uh, you know, as trees go out of flower and that, there's a lot of green leaves and you know, a lot of green trees put together. Um, uh, the, the the white beam, uh, which is a variety of ash, comes out a really really silver color in springtime, uh, and it stands out really well against other trees. You know, for those kind of first two, you know, two and a half months of leaf. Um, so that that's a great tree. It'll tolerate any wind. Um, you know, it's it's really tough. It's not fussy on the soil at all. Uh, but that that's a very good tree. Um, yeah, uh, uh, and there's laws to choose from. Yes. Right? So there is. Um, and I suppose it depends on the size of the plot you have or where you're going to locate it and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's it. Like, you know, I suppose um, um, I think I'd see in a lot of gardens, you know, especially in the west of Ireland, you know, we tend to love to fill up our lawns with trees, you know, to break up a monotonous lawn. If you have mm. a big lawn, it's great to put a few trees in through it. Uh, but what what I see is, you know, a tree growing in the garden and sometimes it's difficult to mow around it. Yes. Because, uh, you know, you'd see a big tuft of grass at the base of it where himself missed it with the mower. Uh, and that can build up over over the weeks. Um, so after two or three cuts, you know, you get this tall grass up at the base of it. Uh, and what we can uh, um, what we can be tempted to do is get the strimmer out and strim around the trees. Uh, and that, that, that can be... Uh, uh, it can be very bad for the trees because right. if we whip the the bark from the base of them, yeah, um, it can kill them. And um, so, a very good way just to do that, and very simply, is to spray a little bit of Roundup in about a two foot circle around the base of your tree. And these are only for trees and lawns. Yes, uh, and put some bark mulch um, around it in that circle. Yeah. And it looks great, you know, it really kind of highlights the tree, it stands out. But it means when himself is out mowing, he doesn't need to go in close to it, he's not clipping it with the wheel of the mower, right. or, you know, he doesn't have to get the strimmer and out. And yet you're avoiding the grass growing up at exactly. the same time. And okay, also, brilliant tip. Uh, when you go to feed the trees, then the, you know the tree is getting hundred percent of the fertilizer. The grass isn't robbing the, the feed that you know is taking it yeah. from around it. So it's a very simple trick uh, for trees and lawns, but very effective. Because I suppose when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, when you're out trying to get the grass cut and you're under time because you only have one good evening or something like that, uh, and the strimmer is out, and we don't actually think about a bit of damage that we might be doing to the bark of the tree, but really the bark is like our own skin. And absolutely. That's so is, you know, yeah. yeah so yeah, I mean, yeah. you're basically cutting the tree. Yeah. If with, with any bit of damage um, and you know if you have a tree that you've had there for a long time you don't want to see it uh, come a cropper as a result of a bit of strimming exactly so, okay so great tip regarding uh, how to kind of mow around them and, and, and obviously it looks good as well so we have actually I have a question that came in on the email now I know we're going to come to questions shortly but I might just um give you this one seeing as we are talking about trees I want to say good morning to James this actually came in uh, for last week but we didn't quite get around to it um, now James would love to plant a special tree in memory of his father in his garden something a little different and if possible a tree that would be a couple of years old or at a good size so he's wondering is that possible and what would you recommend well, <coughs> well you could, can get a tree called liquid amber which which is uh, it, it's it's a lovely tree and yes to the, the question you can buy it as a mature stage and they're freely available now in a container in a, in a large pot and they could be planted now and it's a perfect time for planting them i suppose liquid amber it is a little bit different it's a it's a lovely quirky looking bark it's crinkled bark it's very effective too during the winter time uh lovely foliage on it it's like a maple maple leaf or a sycamore leaf but a much smaller leaf 
but beautiful autumn colour on it just turns a fiery red colour and of course that time of year everyone asks the question you know what is that and uh, that's one I'd recommend Okay, uh, but there is several other varieties of course you know they may think something like an oak they can be planted as a memorial tree like that or, but liquid, liquid amber if they want something different okay. I suppose it, it's a very good time too just while we're on the trees for, for looking at trees or you know going to garden centres because uh, obviously you will see them in full leaf and it, it's very hard I suppose nature's time to plant and, and people associate that with trees is to plant them in November, October mm-hmm. and that really only applies to bare root trees. Right. Uh, so potted trees can be planted all year round and they're freely available at the moment and they look fantastic and you, and then you can pick your colours and look at your colours because there is so many different colours and, and to pick a colour too that, that suits the location and suits the house um, you know, the, the, as I said earlier on with the maples and there's so many different colours in them. And the one thing you don't want to do is to win for a total mix of colours right, either. because it'll look really weird, exactly. psychedelic you know, like, almost. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like clothes or anything like that. You need to have bit of coordination. put a bit of coordination into it, exactly. And a bit of shape into it as well, because trees come in so many different shapes. You know, the the, the sorbers, the mountain ash that Mick mentioned earlier, they're, they're very columnar, they're very slimline trees and maples are very broad and very wide. So there's totally different trees and different shapes for, for different aspects. Carpinus is another great tree. It's the hornbeam, okay. which is used quite a lot for avenue planting up along a driveway. It can look particularly well. Uh, the, I suppose a lot of people would have used the old, the poplars, the Lombardies or that. But Carpinus would be a much nicer tree, a neater tree. Okay. And when we're planting trees, um, because, uh, you know, for particularly for the potted variety, um, and James there was looking for one that would be a good size or a couple of years old, is it like... Can you get them, you know, relatively mature or are they more common when they're younger or how does that work out? You can get them both ways. Uh, you can get trees at the moment and we call them spring ringed trees. They're, they're in containers. They have been grown in containers and they're available in 10 or different, ten or 12 different types and they right. can be planted now. You get a, you get a, probably a, a more of a range in October, what we call root ball trees. And they're available from October right up to about the end of March or right. maybe maybe into April. Uh, Size-wise, yes, there's there's loads loads of options. You know, we would have catalogues where we could show show the customer the different size options he can get. At the moment, there's probably two size options he can get. You know, you know, mm. budget-wise or money-wise, you're maybe forty euros. Then you get you get a much larger tree for about a hundred euros. Okay, so it depends on what you want and but how much you have in your pocket exactly. at the same time. And they but, are available. But there is something there yeah. that, w- that 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 will meet all all requirements. Um, in terms of planting, then, um, like, will soil preparation vary from tree to tree depending on what kind of tree tree you're planting? Yeah, it will. And you know, a lot of it is to the uh, to do with the aspect of the house. You know, how windy it is. You know, if it's in shade, if it's waterlogged or that. And you know, the staff in the garden centre can. And, uh, help you choose a tree uh, very easily uh, but on soil preparation um, uh, you know again like I was saying with the uh, with the cottage garden plants or anything you're planting you, know, you dig a hole maybe about twice the size of uh, the root ball um, mix a little bit of compost into it I suppose the most important thing when you're planting a tree is um, the level it goes in at 
uh, the top of the of the pot or the top of the root ball mm-hmm. should be flush with the surrounding soil. Right. Um, so it's not going in, like a lot of people would think, I'll put it in good and deep, it's windy here. Yeah. And that'll uh, make it more stable. Right. But no, have it right up at the top of the hole so it's it's flush with it. Um, get your compost in around it. Um, as I said, try and keep the the, ba- the base clear from, from grass and that. Uh, and the other essential with trees is uh, a good stake when they... Um, uh, when they're planted um, so the reason for the stake really is um, to keep the root ball steady mm-hmm. as the tree is anchoring into the ground um, so normally we'd put maybe a five or a, fit, uh, f- uh, a six foot stake in uh, and you put a good rubber tie on it um, there's a certain way of tying the tie so it keeps the, the stake and the tree separated um, so for the listeners out there, have a look out the window, have a look at the trees in the lawn. Yeah. Um, if your you know stake is kind of if it's not if it's a young tree and yeah. it's not holding the tree properly, it's a bit lopsided or whatever. That's it. Or in a lot of gardens, you'd see uh, the tie has slipped down on the on the stake. It's kind of halfway down. Right. The tie should be up at the top of the stake, and that way it's keeping it very um, stable. Uh, and usually we keep the stake on it for about three or four years, depending on the tree and the site. Uh, and at that stage, once the tree is kind of standing on its own feet, you can take it away and let her do its own thing. Okay, I've learned something new now this morning because I didn't realise it was quite yeah, that scientific. Yeah. But obviously, when you think about it, of course, logically, yes, you. Um, but there's so there is a particular way of tying the stake and the tree, and to make sure that you're doing it in the best possible way, make sure you have that checked out. Yeah, that's it. Great. Okay. And just just with the aftercare, you can be your own boss, as we always say, with the trees, and and be careful because some listeners will and. Um, gardeners will and they'll google trees and they'll look and they'll get oh that'll get to 50 or 60 feet in my garden but you can be your own boss with them you can right. keep them to eight, 8 feet or you can let them go to 20 feet you know you can see the tree outside the window here it's been pruned back and that's what to do with them every tree can be pruned and shaped whatever you like so that's just a, a point to make on them too. Okay, so it's not a, it's just because that's the height they can grow to. Exactly. It doesn't mean necessarily that that's what you let it do, really, yeah. as you say. Be your own boss with regards to how uh, you're going to maintain them and to keep the height on them and all the rest of it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, lads. Um, we've got loads of questions in. If people uh, do have something uh, that you want to make repeat to answer this morning, it's 087 941 if you're texting with thanks to CNC Cellular, 0818 3000. 55 if you want to call us or you can email either garden at midwestradio.ie Now you're very welcome back to the gardening programme. Um, uh, guys you've brought in quite a few different plants and flowers today uh, which we're going to talk a little bit about um, First of all we are, we want to talk about roses because they're really coming into bloom and in fact I was in a couple of gardens during the week and uh, there was uh, some traditional varieties now I'd say you might have uh, newer varieties with you but they were really in flower fantastic smell and uh, definitely roses coming into their own at the minute Yeah uh, they are indeed like you know I suppose this time of year May, June like you know sees uh, all the roses and all the gardens come into bud depending on the varieties that come in at later time but usually around this time of year now they're all getting ready to flower mm. uh, and they're they're fantastic plants like so they are you know some people think they're difficult they might have tried them in the past but there is a few little tricks you know just keeping them and um, they also make great plants in pots 
So, you know, if, if people have old pots around the house and they want to do something a little bit different with them, uh, putting uh, roses in pots, uh, it, it, it's a great way of injecting colour into a container, mm. you know, so you can put them at the front of the house or that. And they'll flower from really now right up to the the end of the year. Uh, I've seen roses flowering in November. So you, you get a great long spell out of them. Um, so if anyone has, you know, big containers, you could even get three roses, pop them into the, the pot with fresh compost uh, and, you know, put it out the front. It'll give you flower for the next four four months at least. Um, so it, that's a great way of doing that. OK. And uh, wh- what have we brought in today in terms of roses? Uh, well, this one here we have is called Trumpeter. OK. Um, and uh, I suppose, like, since I can remember, this this rose was um, was very popular because it performs really well. It's one called uh, a Floribunda rose. Uh, and what that really means is that it has an abundance of flowers on it. So the hybrid tea tends to have bigger flowers, um, but the, the floribunda tends to have a lot of flowers. So if you're uh, planting a rose, let's say down the garden a little bit, you know, or planting them in, uh, you're doing a bed mm-hmm. and you, you want to put a few roses in it. The floribundas are a great way to do that because uh, they produce so much colour. Um, so uh, this one is a deep, deep red rose okay. and it gets to around two foot. Um, so if I'm, you know, when I'm out, I'm out landscaping, uh, normally if I'm doing a rose bed, it'd be one I choose and, you know, and show people because it, it tends to perform Probably really well. well. Okay, and people won't be disappointed or uh, that it won't work out for them. And Pete, what have you got there? You've got a, another from we, the rose variety. You have another yeah. variety. Yeah. You, can, you can see it's just slightly a different shape to the, the trumpeter, as Mick says. The, um, and this one is called Burgundy, Burgundy Ice. And it's another flower of under rose. It's, spect- it's another spectacular rose. And I suppose the only difference really is the colour. Mm-hmm. It's a burgundy colour. Uh, you know, so you can see yeah, it's just starting to flower at the moment. The buds are just on it, so buds it's, not, it's yeah, it. not quite out in flower, but you can see the fit from the picture there. And loads of flowers again, a bit like the trumpeter, loads of flowers. And this flower will, or this rose will stay in flower right up to October, certainly right up to the hard frost. Right. And uh, as, as Mick says, great for, for longevity and great for flower all summer. Great for cutting, you know, taking cutting and bringing them inside. Um, and easy easy to grow, really, you know, and roses if there's just a little bit of, a bit of thinking and a bit of, you know, maintenance with them. Yeah. Because uh, sometimes I think <coughs> roses scare people They do a scare bit. people, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 looking after them, really, once they start coming into leaf and putting a, setting in a, in a program in place with, with your simple products like your rose clear and your feed and you'll keep them clean and, and disease free and pest free right through the season it, it, it can be very easy Okay so lots in terms of roses at the moment uh, for people to choose from um, Now we also we, we talked a fair bit Michael, last week about the hydrangeas and you've all, you've brought in a really uh, interesting one this morning Yeah that's a gorgeous one all called together. Cotton Candy Yeah Cotton Candy has a uh, dark green leaves and uh, a real deep pink flower on it um, it's it's a real nice one like so it is and you can see there the way the, uh, the buds are just ready to burst open uh, it's it's a beautiful plant altogether. And the actual leaves on the flowers or the flower itself on this one uh, it looks a little bit different uh, in my uneducated uh, imp- mind anyway to what we would consider to be some of the traditional types of hydrangeas yeah, yeah is, it's a it's a very it's a very kind of open kind of a, a, it is, a flower, yeah, like you know, big kind of flat flowers on it. Which you know, and each flower uh, head, I suppose, you know, can have maybe fifty little flowers on it. Like so, it really stands out. And it, you know, with the dark foliage, the pink really stands out against that. 
Um, so it's a great one to try in the gardens. Great stuff. Um, uh, anything else there? Do I see a lily on the ground behind you as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, these are the uh, these are again the perennial lilies, uh, red matrix, and uh, there's another one there called buzzer, which is a pink, or you have yellow Fraser. They come in different fl- different colours, and these uh, I suppose they're the bulb. They're you know they're they're very much like a daffodil or yeah. a tulip. The flower now for the summertime, the flower for about six to eight weeks, and of course they die back then and they shoot up then the following year. Uh, so th- they can be mixed very well with the, the cottage garden plants they can be put into that bracket of plants and they're great for colour and they're right. easy to grow and a little bit of height as well if you are sowing them with yeah. Yeah. you know as part of a planting scheme and you can get dwarf ones and you can get tall ones some of them vary in height but they're great for a little bit of colour and as Mick said too for containers they're brilliant for containers or for pots Okay, great. So lots of options there, uh, depending on what uh, kind of plant or variety that you're you're, you're going to uh, plant. Just sorry, Mick. There you yeah, go. well, even that in a pot, like with some low stuff uh, around the base. Um, we mentioned last week the basket plants, and, mm. and these two plants go really well together. If you have, you know, a nice little wide pot, fill it with compost, plant your lily in the centre, and, you know, choose a couple of um, basket plants, maybe five or six around the base of them. Uh, one I particularly like is one called Verbena, mm-hmm. and it comes in a few different colours, but the, the flowers of it are absolutely amazing. So you have the, the colour up on top, maybe at around two foot. And the bit of height, yeah. That's it. And then the basket plants are going to fill around the base of it and spill out over the side of the pot. Um, so it's a great way of uh, bringing colour, you know, right through mm. the season for you. And really kind of making um, what could be like a nice enough pot with a flower in it into something quite spectacular. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't always, I suppose we don't always think about that. We kind of put a pat flower in a pot and it's a flower in a pot, but you can really make it into something more than that by putting a few bits down, uh, lower down and planting around it. Okay, we're going to take some questions, if that's okay. So, because uh, people have been uh, sending us in uh, some bits and pieces over the past half hour or so. Um, we're going to start um, with a forget-me-nots. That's not a, a plant we cover too often on the programme. So um, somebody's wondering if they have, will they have another flush of forget-me-nots if they cut them down? They won't, no. Right. <clears throat> they're, they're done for the season, but they can, it's a good time to trim them back now. I suppose for, forget-me-nots will be classed as a biennial too. You may get two or three years out of them. You're lucky if you get if you get any more of that, but trim them back now. Good time to give them a little feed if they're this year. If they've just flowered this year for next year, they could give them a feed as well. Right. Okay. And have them ready for next have year. Have them ready but, for next year. Okay, yeah. but just one flowering yeah. only. Um, now, good morning to Nula. Nula dug up dahlias last autumn. She's kept them in a dark, dry, warm place, but can't see any buds on them now. Um, they're wondering would they be all right to set out, or is there a problem? Uh, the woods, yeah, they'd really need to be set out um, almost straight away. A good one to kickstart them is to you know get your dahlia bulb uh, and uh, put it into a basin of water overnight and some people would even put a little capful of tomato food into it right uh, and the, the bulb if it's still dried out it'll soak in that moisture and that tomato food and it'll give it a, a kick start when you plant it out uh, so you'd, you'd take it out the next day then and plant it into your borders um, you know it doesn't have to go down too deep maybe two or three inches deep uh, with a little bit of fresh compost around it and up she should come Great. Uh, now, somebody actually has a question on the, the staking of the trees. Um, Tom, good morning. Tom's wondering, can he stake trees on a lawn with ordinary treated fencing stakes or do they just have to be, I suppose, untreated? No. Uh, sorry, go on. Well, it, it, as long as uh, 
treated steaks are fine just yeah. as long as they're treated at the base just whether it's going into the ground right. that's fine certainly they don't want to be treated with creosote or any of those products yeah. where the tree is touching the yeah. but really the tree shouldn't be touching the steak anyways as, as Mick said earlier on most importantly with a steak and a tie for the tree that the tie is at the very top of the steak so the tree isn't rubbing Against off the, the steak. steak as you mentioned yourself Deirdre earlier on that's just affecting the, the cambium or the, the layer of the bark and that's like affecting this, the skin and that sets infection in so that's mostly important I just have a smaller tie then lower down as well okay just to give us to give it a good a, a good yeah. anchoring as and quite important important too that the, the steak doesn't have to be that tall mm. you know just Okay, just that it's giving the just, bit of support. Yeah, and, and, and the most important thing too, don't leave it on too long. Once the, you feel the tree is secure, take the stake off straight away. Okay, great. Um, now, we talked about forest flame a little bit last week and somebody wants us to recap on that if we uh, don't mind. Um, what do we say about the forest flame and cutting the tips off for regrowth? Right, well, uh, forest flame is uh, it's a, a Japanese plant called Pieris. Um, and it comes in loads of different varieties. Um, I suppose a few that jump out at me would be uh, Katsura is a deep, deep red. When that new growth comes out, it comes out a real burgundy red. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful plant. Uh, Mountain Fire is another one. Or the traditional one that uh, most uh, people would know is the Forest Flame. Nice. Um, so Forest Flames, they're like a rhododendron. They're like uh, a slightly acid soil. So if you are going feeding them, if you have them in the garden, uh, you can use sequestrian on them. Uh, that's a tonic especially for them and it'll give them a really good boost um, uh, and you know since they're acid loving if you have a limey soil um, just keep that in mind you might want to dig in a little bit of ericaceous compost every now around them and that keeps them happy uh, on trimming them uh, giving them a slight haircut on top sometimes uh, brings on another flush of growth from them um, so, and that's where we get the colour from like the in the Pieris it's, the colour really comes from the leaf um, so uh, you can give it a little trim now uh, if it needs it. Okay, great. Uh, now, uh, we're told that you had some visitors during the week actually from Corbella National School in County Sligo. So those who attended during the week just wanted to say a big, huge thank you uh, to everybody. They had a great day and really uh, enjoyed the visit and particularly the children and the planting uh, that went on. Um, now, Illy Agnes Hedge, question from Mary. It's gone very woody and um, she's planting it to eat Etna laurel in between, um, and she's wondering, will that will the laurel cover the Eliagnus? Well, yeah, the Prunus right. etna, it'll, it'll it'll cover the base of the plant. Uh, Eliagnus can get a little bit woody if it's not. It's probably maybe planted and just left untreated. It hasn't been pruned back for right. a number of years, and it can get woody. Yes, the etna will cover up will the, cover. The, the bare par- parts of it. Okay. Um, now, somebody has a problem with rhubarb. It's not turning red. Um, uh, Derek from Lahardon, good morning to you. Uh, staying green, obviously. Would there be a particular reason for that? Uh, well, it could be the variety of, of um, um, rhubarb. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it might just need a little bit of nutrition into the soil. So what I normally do with my rhubarb, if you have any problems with it, is fork and loosen the soil around the base of it. Uh, and it's good to feed it with a little bit of sulphate of potash and that'll help uh, ripen it and you know it, it come into its own Great. Um, so it could be just something simple like that Okay, now uh, so, uh, Veronica is wondering can you suggest weed killers that can be used on a vegetable bed? Well it depends mm. <clears throat> you, you need to be very careful before you work on your bed or get pre- preparation you can use you know some of the glyphosates or the roundups or 
but um, not, the, not while the vegetables are growing. Not while the, there's nothing really. No, uh, you have to bend the back and okay, you know, a get bit in of there. hoeing required or yeah. manually, <coughs> manually pick them out. I, I suppose the trick with the the weeds is to try and stay on top of them from uh, when they're uh, when they come in at first. Uh, if you can uh, keep your bed relatively clean, you know, even giving it, uh, you know, a few minutes every week and just take the the weeds out when they're young, yeah. Uh, yeah. it goes a long way to you know uh, uh, to stopping that problem. Okay. Through the ridges or something like that, you could use something like weed oil. You know the little right. sachets. They, they're just—it's a contact weed killer. It just kills the foliage, yeah. and that's it. And you can be very careful, or you know, you can go in and try and protect or use a shield. But you, you need to be very careful. Careful, okay. You know, because you're not dealing with shrubs or or hedges or anything yeah. like that. And you are, it is something that you're going to be eating at the end of the you day, know. and uh, you uh, need to kind of maintain that and keep that in your mind all the time. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. Uh, we still have lots more to come, though, so stay with us. Now, you're very welcome back. Uh, Pete and Mick are with us from Horkins this morning. Um, somebody's, a listener's wondering about um, plants for shade that will be good in the shade or to, to, to help any what, any ideas on, on something for that yeah there's a, there's a range of plants that are good for shade like you know I suppose it depends on how shaded it is if it's deep shade or if it's getting a little bit of light uh, but one plant that springs to mind is uh, the Euonymus um, Palmo Blanca um, that's very good. It's a little shrub. It's an all-rounder. It's evergreen, so it's there all year. Uh, and you get nice leaf colour from it. So it's a dark green leaf, but it comes out with a, a real splash of white on the leaf. So it's nice to brighten up a shaded area. Okay, so and you have a little bit of variety there with it as well. And you were saying that's also quite a good plant for planting on graves. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Which nice is a, qu- a question that I suppose we get uh, quite often on the programme. You know, people are, and I suppose people will particularly be starting to think about that now because the um, cemetery anniversaries will be coming up and um, it's a time of year that people tend to look at graves and see how they can be maintained and tidied up a little bit. Yeah, so. Euonymus are great for that and there's there's loads of varieties in them. Uh, another one is uh, a variety called Blondie. Um, so, you know, if you didn't like the white in it and you wanted a bit of yellow instead, um, that's a great variety. Very tough. You know, it's good to keep it low on a grave. So, you know, when you do go up, bring your secateurs or scissors and just give it a little haircut. You know, it's good to keep plants down because normally, you know, grave sites are very open to yes. wind and that. Um, and But by giving uh, it a haircut, like with a lot of plants, it brings on another flush of colour and, you know, it really gives them, uh, you know, uh, makes them shine, shine again. Lovely. Now, we were talking about roses there a little while back um, and a listener is wondering about roses that have the good strong smell. I suppose I was saying that I'd been in one or two gardens and there was some great scent coming through. Varieties, Pete, that will be um, good for, for, for bringing out the fragrance. Yeah, that is, uh, I suppose, with the best time to to pick a rose is when they're in flower and they will be in flower in the next few weeks and I suppose that's the time to to um, get the fragrance from them if if uh, just a few off the top of my head uh, in a white flower and rose and probably one of the best scented roses you will get is one called Margaret Morel okay. and it's a lovely it's a lovely white ivory white flower and it's again it's a flower abundant variety like the trumpeter loads of flowers but fantastic and probably is one of the best scented roses you will get Maybe have to be have to be ordered, but there'd be no problem there. In a yellow variety, you can get Arthur Bell, which again is is a flower abundant, loads of flowers, and and very very fragrant. The one I, I've showed, Burgundy and Ice, mm-hmm. is nice is a nice fragrant rose. Uh, I'm trying to think of a very good a good red. Have you, can you think? No, Trumpeter we'll isn't. The no, it's not. No. Um, um, 
Uh, Alex Reg, that one is yeah, very good. Alex yeah. Reg, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find like nowadays now uh, the growers are uh, really helping the customers an awful lot. Uh, on roses, uh, you usually get some very good labels on them, and they'll tell you um, an awful lot about them. Just at a quick glance, yeah. uh, and one of the uh, normal keys on it is how fragrant the rose is. So if someone is looking for that and the rose uh, uh, isn't in flower at the time, and you're wondering, just check the label. It'll tell you um, all you need to know on it. Okay, very, very fragrant. It'll normally say, you know, and climbers are great too. Albertine is another great uh, fragrant rose. Okay, so lo- lots of options there. Now, the hydrangeas, we were talking about the lovely cotton candy there uh, coming into bloom. Somebody has one, but the leaves have a lot of brown on them. What, right. what might be the problem? Uh, well, it could be a number of things. Uh, probably, again, the, the best thing is to take a snippet off it, bring it into the staff in the garden centre, and we can have a look at it. But, it, you know, if it's a young plant, um, it could have just soft foliage on it, and it might have got a um, a blast of really cold wind. Mm. Um, it could have been, you know, in a waterlogged area. Sometimes that affects the leaves, or it could have dried out. You know, so um, but normally there's telltale signs on leaves. So it's great if customers have a plant in their garden and they're wondering about it. And you know, there's something unusual or there's something it's not happy. Just take a piece off it and bring it into us, and we'll identify it for you. Great, polytunnels. Uh, somebody's wondering if we could advise on the best type of greenhouse or polytunnel to get for a small garden. They'd like one for growing seedlings and perhaps tomatoes, and rough price range if possible. Um. Yeah, it's, it's, we get a lot I'm of sure the, I'm sure there's loads of different options is, here now. Uh, normally the glass houses, the greenhouses normally come in, you know, six by eight. Uh, you can get them in uh, six by four. You can get them in different sizes, yeah. price range. Um, it depends, you know, on the quality of the greenhouse. We we have a very good range ourselves. We have a very good catalogue on it. We could bring the customer through it. Yeah, and you can. And if they want to contact me, there's no problem. We can we can do that. Polytunnels. You need a bit of space for them. Mm. You know, they tend to, you know, they don't look very attractive. I'm not knocking them or anything like that. But I think you need a bit of room where you can hide them off and screen them off. Yeah. Where a glass house can look quite... It can look look very well. And particularly you can get the glass house in a green frame, you know, aluminium frame. Very little goes wrong with them. You you more or less have them for a lifetime. A lot of them, the particular ones we do, come with a 25-year warranty. You can get the different types of glass, the tough and glass, they're very safe. With the glass house or the greenhouse, you can get a lot of extras, you can get stage and you can get benches. Uh, so there's, there's there's an awful lot of advantages to the greenhouse. I'd say the best thing for the listener to come in and have a chat with me and we can have a look at a size and look at a price. And in them. terms of preparation then, you know, uh, for the ground, like you have to put a little bit of foundation yeah, in, do you, for, for a glass house? Or? It's very, very simple though. I mean, right. you know, any, any you, you get a good, lay, you know, a handyman or anything like that or knows what he's doing, it's, it's very straightforward. Okay. There's no problem at all. Okay, great. So not as big a project as you no, might think. No. Um, Frida has two pair of trees. They've got no flowers or fruit. What would be the problem? Uh, right, with pears, they should be showing some signs of fruit uh, at this stage. So uh, the flowers are finished on them. Uh, usually, out of each flower, a fruit will appear. And um, so they, you know, they might be only the size of a sugar cube now, but you know, they should be showing. If they're not, um, it, it it could be one of a number of things. Um, it could be pollination. So the variety of pear might need a pollinator, uh, a different variety of of pear, uh, so that the flowers of each pear mix together. You know, the insects bring pollen from one to the other, and that fertilizes the um, the the flower yeah. into fruit. 
Um, or it could, uh, if it's just skipping a year or that, um, I always go back to the potash. Uh, it's great stuff altogether. So if you have any plant in your garden that isn't fruiting, isn't burying, or isn't flowering like it should be, um, a shake of potash at the base of it, another shake in about six weeks, right. and another shake in about another six weeks, it'll, it'll trigger the plant into fruiting for you. Now, it might have skipped it for this year, but the potash will ensure that if the um, if it's pollinated correctly, it'll fruit for you next year. Great. Uh, and somebody, uh, Michael also has, a, I suppose, a similar difficulty, cherry and plum trees. Now, they're about five years old and they've never had any fruit. Yeah, well, you similar. know, particularly with plums and cherries, yeah. <coughs> they can take a number of years to, okay. to, uh, to fruit. And uh, I suppose the, the, the thing with fl- plum, plums and cherries, they tend to, for the first four or five years, focus on growth and put all their energy into growth. And then at a stage, then they will start to flower. And as Mick said, potash again for them is very good. Or even sudden impact as a a general feed. And then use the the, the potash through the season. And it's good to use the potash, uh, potash, as Mick said, every six weeks, not to just put it on once. And uh, they can be very good too in containers, plums. And the problem with plums is they just put on too much growth and uh, the focus on the growth and they forget about flowering for the first number of years. In the old gardens of that, they used to plant the trees and dig a hole and lay maybe a slab at the base of the, the hole just to restrict the growth on the plant and then it'll focus on fruiting. So they will come. Okay, so yeah, that's just a bit of patience because I yeah. suppose it's easy to understand after five years you kind of think, gosh, is this not ever going to happen for me here? Yeah, can but take up to seven, eight years for them. Okay, great. Now, uh, how to use Bordeaux mixture on potatoes for blight? Um, can I use it dry? Somebody wonders. Does that is that without? No, uh, is, well, as far as I know, you um, you use uh, you mix, know, with, you water. mix it with, with water, water. Right. yeah, and apply it on in the evening when the sun yeah. wouldn't be very strong. Um, it, it's a good question because this type of weather where we've this kind of humid, mm. wet weather, it, uh, uh, potatoes are very prone to blight. It's exactly the weather that blight will come in and ruin them on you. Um, so uh, it, the, on the Bordeaux mixture, there should be a method on the back. Um, so I'd say read that thoroughly, mix it with water and apply it on in the evening. Uh, or another very good product is Proxenil. Um, so if they're you know if they're looking for an alternative, uh, Proxenil will not only um, prevent the blight from getting into the potato. If it does get a little bit of blight, it'll cure it as well. Um, so it's a, it's a very good honest one I use. Okay. Bordeaux mixture could be used to, if you're storing or overseas, if you're using your own seed yes. and storing them through the wintertime or, or if, if, if anyone is uh, storing tubers or daftal bulbs or anything like that, a little shake of Bordeaux mixture on the, um, the bulbs at that stage for when you're putting them, in, putting them away for the wintertime is a good time. That's in the powder form, is that's it? That's in the powder form, right. yeah. Right, okay, without having to mix but, it. But with, for now, they need to now. mix it with water and spray it on with a watering can, yeah. Great. Okay, we've only time for one or two more uh, left. Uh, the morning is clipping along. Um, Mary is planting a rockery. She's looking for a bit of nice colour now. What would we suggest? Um, right, well, your rockery plants, normally you'd go straight to um, ones called alpines. Um, so a couple at the top of the he- top of my head would be the dianthus um, that's really in flower or in bud at the moment uh, they're a fantastic plant um, the campanula is a, is a fantastic plant as well if you want a nice blue flower mm-hmm. uh, and both of those plants will come back year after year uh, or the old traditional one is the obrisha and you'd, uh, our uh, listeners might see that in old country walls just a big spill of purple or blue coming out of that uh, that's the obrisha it's a fantastic plant 
Okay. Um, can, would you be able to, now we're putting you on the spot here, so apologies in advance. Can you put a name on the tree with a cluster of yellow flowers that hangs down and is there a mini version of it? Laburnum. I'm presuming that's yeah, what it is. Yeah, and you can. There is a shrub form of it. Is there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just grafted. It's a smaller, it's a shrub form and they can be got. Okay. Uh, they get to, again, as I said earlier on, even the shrub form will get quite big. It'll get to about 10 or 12 feet. Uh, but it can be kept to three or four feet if the listener wants to just prune it back and do that with it. Great. Okay. It can be got, yeah. Um, now, Lucia, 15 years ago, they planted oak trees. One or two of them, uh, the leaves are looking dead. Why might this be? Uh, actually, I was in the garden in uh, Cross Maligny yesterday yeah. and they had some young oaks that the planters, very same uh, symptoms on it. The leaves were crinkling, they were going brown, they were, the plant wasn't looking healthy. Uh, and it, when I turned the leaves over, I found loads of aphids underneath the leaves. Okay. So that that's probably the... Um, the, the, the reason. reason so yeah go out you know looking at the tree you mightn't see them but turn the leaf over if you have little bugs on the, the inner side of the leaf you'd need to spray them with a, an insecticide okay and as Porik I know has mentioned going back a few weeks ago uh, it's definitely a year where we're going to have loads of aphids yeah. yeah okay we're going to have to leave it there guys thanks indeed for all of the advice this morning and uh, we'll be back again with the gardening programme next week just after nine o'clock stand by Michael Neary is coming your way next uh, I'll be back again next Saturday just after seven until then have yourselves a very good weekend and good morning to you <laughs>